Mass is boring. Uh, I find myself uninterested or uninpressed. I don't get some, anything out of it. These are all sentiments that I've heard as a priest or complaints that I've heard as a priest, but they're also complaints that uh, in my younger years I uttered myself. But I think these complaints, they often belie a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the Mass, an understanding that we can correct if we ponder our second reading today, which is a great uh, catechesis, if you will, on the Mass, on what exactly is the Mass and why the Church tells us it's so important we're obliged to come every Sunday. Our second reading contrasts two covenants, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant from Sinai, and the New Covenant Jesus formed, the New and Eternal Covenant. That word covenant, it, it is something much stronger than a contract. We often use the two interchangeably today. A contract, you know, I might sign a contract to get a loan for a car, and I agree to pay this much back for five years uh, every month until my car is paid off. We're just exchanging goods and services. A covenant is much deeper than that. It's a familial bond. Maybe the closest thing we have is, would be marriage. Marriage is a covenant. When a husband and wife say, I do, they become family. And so in, a co in the covenant that God forms with his people, he's making a familial bond. He's raising us ultimately to the status of adopted sons and daughters with the covenant that Jesus Christ forms. So let's talk about these contrasting covenants. He doesn't use, the author of Hebrews doesn't use the word Sinai, but that's what he's talking about. After the Exodus, after God brought people out of slavery in Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai, and there Moses receives the law from God. And God makes his presence known to all the people in a spectacular way. There's blazing, fly, uh, excuse me, blazing fire, gloomy darkness, thunderous storms, a trumpet blast, and then everybody hears God's voice audibly. But it so terrifies them that they go to Moses and beg him that no further messages be addressed to them. You speak to God for us. We can't hear his voice again. The episode at Mount Sinai it illustrates the truth that, you know, we ought to ponder more in the modern age. God's majesty and holiness is overwhelming. We see that throughout the Bible. By contrast, the presence of God in the New Covenant is, is very different from that terrifying episode at Sinai. This New Covenant is symbolized by Mount Zion, which is in the old city of Jerusalem. But this passage isn't speaking about the earthly Jerusalem. Throughout the New Testament, there's this theme that the earthly Jerusalem is just a shadow of the heavenly one, of the new and eternal Jerusalem. It is the heavenly Jerusalem, in the heavenly Jerusalem, that myriads, thousands upon thousands of angels, are present in festal gathering joined by the church triumphant, the saints, here referred to as the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, and the spirits of the just made perfect. The angels and saints are gathered around worshiping God, here called the judge of all, worshiping before his throne. 
And of course, in this heavenly Jerusalem, we approach Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the sprinkled blood which speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. Jesus reminds us that, yes, God is the judge of all, but he loves us so much that he sent his son to save us. It is because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that these, this throne of angels and saints are joyously worshiping before God. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, this passage tell us, tells us. And another word for mediator is priest. He is our great high priest of this new and everlasting covenant. A covenant sealed by the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. What is that referring to? Hopefully, we remember the story of Cain and Abel from the beginning of the Bible. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's first two sons. And Abel is the first murder victim, murdered by his brother Cain. And Genesis tells us that after Abel is murdered, his blood cried out to God from the ground. And in response, God justly punished Cain. But here's the difference. Abel's blood called out for vengeance. The precious blood of Christ. Christ, who is a far more innocent victim of a far more heinous crime, cries out to the heavens for our mercy. Abel's blood brought a curse upon Cain. The precious blood of Christ brings the blessing of eternal redemption and victory over death. The new covenant Jesus founded, and at the Last Supper, he instituted the great sacrament of the new covenant, the Eucharist. When he took bread and said, this is my body, took a chalice filled with wine and said, this is my blood. And he continued to say, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he added, do this in memory of me. The church has been faithful to that command to do this in memory of Jesus, to celebrate the Eucharist. And here's the profound reality of the Eucharist. Wherever the Eucharist is celebrated, be it in a glorious basilica like St. Peter's in Rome or the humblest of parish churches, that heavenly Jerusalem spoken of in our second reading is made present. As I speak now, there are angels and saints surrounding us, worshiping God. Yet we do not see it with our eyes. But even though it's invisible, it's nonetheless reality. It's reality that we're joined by a choir of angels in festal gathering and the saints. It's the reality that when we bend the knee in worship of Mass, we are bending the knee before God, the judge of all. And that when the host and chalice are elevated, we are adoring our great high priest, Jesus Christ, whose precious blood speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. Every Mass we devoutly participate in, and first and foremost, that means interiorly that we are praying the Mass uh, as well as ex externally participating in responses and songs, etc. Every Mass we devoutly participate in, our membership in this new and eternal covenant is deepened, and we're given a foretaste of heaven. Now, I could imagine the objection, if that's the case, then why do I think Mass is boring? Why, at times, do I feel like I don't get anything out of it? that I'm unimpressed or uninterested. Part of the reason we feel that way is we're talking about invisible realities. This heavenly Jerusalem we don't see with our eyes. It's a reality hidden from us at Mass, just as the real presence of Jesus Christ is hidden under the appearance of bread and wine in the Eucharist. We need faith 
right? Faith supplies where our feeble senses fail. That's true with the Eucharist. That's true with the Mass. That's true with God's actions in our life. And so if we find ourselves struggling with the Mass, why do I go to this Sunday after Sunday? We ought to pray. We have to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Increase my faith. For this faith enables us to know the reality that in this life lies behind the veil. The same God who thundered at Sinai, we worship here at Mass. But we're able to approach him without fear because we've been washed clean in the blood of Christ. Nonetheless, many at Sinai, even though they knew God was real, even though they experienced his majesty in awe, they hardened their hearts and rebelled against him. We must not do as they did. We must seek to worship God with all our heart, mind, and soul, to love him and to love our neighbor as ourself. Let us see the Mass as the intersection of heaven and earth that it truly is, and let us know that our devout participation in the Mass will help form us into the saints he created us to be and bring us to that heavenly Jerusalem that we can experience in the fullness in the life to come.